When we started, I think it was really important for us to decide what we felt like we needed to own and what we could, you know, kind of rent, so to speak. You know, sometimes people talk to, talk about this as like a always or never kind of statement. Certainly we had to work through those internally to determine where we were going to invest our time and resources. Ideally, you're in a scenario where you're investing the vast majority of your time and resources into those areas that you identify as your, you know, always. Then you're able to kind of go faster by renting other technology. I'm Casey Kipfer, co-founder and chief payments officer at Justify. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today how Casey Kipfer is creating the company to 5X your revenue through embedded fintech and payment solutions. All this and more on Code Story. Casey Kipfer is a family man. He's married with three kids, and there's a lot of excitement and noise at his house, which he says is wonderful. He enjoys golfing and fishing, and tries to spend as much time outside as possible. He enjoys spending time with his brother playing hockey in the winter. They also worked together for around 12 years at a prior venture. Through their collective knowledge, Casey and his team have found that customers have a need for solid in-house expertise to support a payments ecosystem. And technically speaking, Customers need an orchestration layer to abstract multiple partners and services behind the scenes. This is the creation story of Justify. So we exist to accelerate potential, specifically the payments and fintech potential that exists within vertical platforms and marketplaces. We believe that, you know, every company, every platform needs three things to really meet their potential within the payments and fintech space. That is a sub-account architecture, an orchestration layer, and a team. And so what we find is that most companies, most founders or, or leaders are leveraging some kind of sub-account architecture today, but that they don't have an in-house team that really has kind of been through it all before and has kind of the scrapes and bruises to show for it. Because of that, they lack really a, an understanding of both what is possible as well as how to how to potentially go about achieving that in a certain time frame, right? So a lot of our experience, you know, comes from our our past. For me, that's um, that's largely within Sports Engine and some of the other properties within Comcast NBC Sports that we manage in some way, shape, or form. For my founder Joe, that's based off of his previous company and and the platform and ecosystem that he had built. And when we sit down and chat with folks, they'll say, "Hey, you know, we're using." Maybe it's Stripe or adding or PayPal. We think that, you know, it's it's pretty expensive. We don't really know what's possible in these other areas that extend outside of payments that our customers have a need for. And so, you know, we think that the team and having having people that can support both the strategy as well as the execution of that strategy is is critically important. On the technical side, when I talk about an orchestration layer, what I'm what I'm really referring to there is the ability to leverage multiple partners to be able to strategically offer products and route, you know, transactions or experiences to the best partner for a particular, you know, user or platform or ecosystem. You know, a lot of platforms will become single threaded or will build out a spaghetti mess over time that isn't all that well thought out. 
And so we look to, you know, solve for both of those problems, whether it's streamlining and making something, you know, easier to support and, and, and in that way yielding better uh, results or else, you know, just starting with a partner out of the gate who isn't looking at somebody as a number or isn't looking to become a vendor. We, we truly want to be partners with our platforms and, and really help them deliver the best platform and product that they can and also reach their own potential from a, from a growth revenue valuation perspective. Tell me about your MVP, so that first product you built. How long did it take to build, and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? Our MVP, you know, really probably took about two to three quarters to, to build, and, and for us it was important that we were able to deliver all three of those kind of components, right? The team, which which we had, and, and the support and professional services that we can provide, but a sub-account architecture and managed orchestration layer really meant that we had to build quite a lot, I, I would actually say from an MVP perspective. We had to have multiple acquiring partners and beyond payment partners in place and ready to be used by you know, our first customer. And, and we also had to have the ability to you know, onboard and complete all the KYC and underwriting responsibilities to, to acquire those customers. And then the, you know, the architecture and pipes in place to be able to process payments and move money around to, to different accounts. So from an MVP perspective, the scope was relatively large. We were fortunate to really have a number of kind of close friends and coworkers that we had, that we had worked with in the past who were excited about, you know, kind of this, this next chapter in this journey that we're on now. And so we were able to, you know, join forces with a number of really talented folks out of the gate. You know, it wasn't just Joe and I as co-founders. It was, you know, that kind of early team that I think really set the pace and gave us the chance to to accomplish, you know, a lot in what may be an extended time for an MVP, but certainly the requirements were pretty well known at the onset of, of you know, this all. So even in knowing the requirements on the in the onset, you got to make certain decisions and trade-offs. And, and kind of at a high level, you're alluding to some of those. But tell me about some of those things you had to work through specifically, and you know how you coped with those decisions. When we started, I think it was really important for us to decide what we felt like we needed to own and what we could, you know, kind of rent, so to speak. You know, sometimes people talk to, talk about this as like a always or never kind of statements. Certainly we had to work through those internally to determine where we were where we were going to invest our time and resources. Ideally you're in a scenario where you're investing the vast majority of your time and resources into those areas that you identify as your, you know, always or your nevers. Then you're able to kind of go faster by, you know, really kind of making considerations or renting certain tools or other technology to, to fill in the gaps around those with the understanding that in time you are likely to come back and, and, and maybe turn some of those things that you rent into things that you own and, and also be okay with the reality that, you know, there are a lot of scenarios where you're not better served by, you know, owning everything. Okay. So then from that point, how did you progress the product and how did you mature it? And I think to wrap that in a box a little bit, how did you go about building your roadmap and what was your process in deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or to address with Justify? In terms of our roadmap, that gets a lot easier once you've launched with customers. <laughs> you know, your customers are the folks in your pipeline to really help you define that, that roadmap. So in the MVP phase, it's a little, it's always a little bit interesting because you may be 
so early on that that it's harder to get as much feedback as you would want to help define you know your strategy and where you're going to be sequencing the work as you add more customers then you know that that feedback uh, of course there's work in parsing through it all but that feedback is you know coming at you much quicker and and really helps you determine you know are we on to something or are we on something uh, much faster than than without it it was identifying you know the early customers that wanted to go on a journey with us we are still very much early on in our own journey right when i think about where we are at now it's a far cry from where we were 6 months ago or 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 even a year ago but we're still certainly in you know the first inning of of our own platform so identifying customers or or partners that share your vision and share your values was critically important and then ensuring that you're you know in communication with them constantly and and sharing ideas and feedback you know in a way that fits the mold of that partner relationship versus a vendor relationship Let's switch to team then Casey how, how did you go about building your team and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they are the winning horses to join you We had the benefit of of a lot of the early members of our team being known commodities so to speak beyond just coworkers of you know our probably our first 10 hires were were not just previous coworkers but friends and so there was an immense amount of trust while not all of those folks came from the same initial kind of circles they're all folks that wanted to work in this type of environment for a company that was looking to solve the types of problems that we're trying to solve and and in certain scenarios had experience in in the areas that from a you know from a product UX engineering conversation perspective it's not that you're looking to cut corners or cheat but when everybody starts on the same page it's a lot easier to to go fast the ramp time early on for us was was condensed because of that and allowed us to move very quickly from you know from the start as we've grown so of course like that at some point the, the potential to continue to grow your company in that way is probably not not only not best but it's also not uh, realistic then it's really been about identifying kind of our core values within our company and ensuring that you know we're hiring as much or more to those as we are to skills or experiences that may be more in line with what you'd expect out of you know say like a resume let's flip to scalability then So, did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or are you going to be fighting this as you grow and gain traction? The answer is going to be somewhere in the middle. I think that you are, you know, really setting yourself up for some greater challenges down the line if you aren't thinking about how to scale in different areas across your business. But the reality is, for us, there's there's trade-offs, and so far as sometimes, you know. in a startup and I I do believe this is true you have to do things that that maybe don't scale or aren't designed to scale for a period of time when we talk about the team that we bring or the professional services that we bring certainly while we can continue to add to the team that's very different than you know the architecture and the technology that we're building out to help our customers you know really reach their potential and do what it is that they're setting out to do so that isn't a reason for us to shy away from that it's you know we believe it's reasons for us to kind of lean into that because it is so different than what others provide and and that is certainly a concern when we think about scalability though on on the tech side i think you know it's not exactly the same but the same types of considerations will continue to play out and so you know 
from the day that we started or you know the month that we started there are areas that you know we we know we'll need to cycle back on and continue to improve as as we grow our you know our partner list and and they grow and are utilizing our system in ways that you know we can only hope or dream that they that they that they would even you know now a, a little over a year into it as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built what are you most proud of and i know it's early innings but but what are you most proud of you know for the partners that have joined us early on in our own journey, I think what I'm most proud of is the wins that they've had, right? We are in the background. We're, we're effectively designed and meant to be in the background, right? Like the technology that we provide is white labeled, right? We are behind the scenes. We are helping, you know, we're helping our partners provide a reliable service to their customers to do it in a way that allows them to monetize and optimize their, their payments and their payment revenue to introduce new products, whether that be quicker access to to funds, loans, embedded insurance offerings, not just the launch, but we've had customers very early on here that have, you know, partnered with us and then and then successfully raised where they they weren't able to raise funds before partnering with us. We've had a couple that have been acquired and they've explicitly said, you know, like the valuation or or what they've been able to accomplish is is in part due to our technology and, and, a, and a host of other things too, right? It's not, it's certainly not just us, but in part, you know, related to the technology that they've, they've implemented and the solutions that they're providing, but also due in part to the strategy that they have and the way that they're able to talk about the vision of their own platform to whether it be somebody who's looking to acquire them or invest in them or whatever. Those wins for our partner platforms have been really satisfying and really, I think, really strong signals to me that, that what we're building uh, what we built today and what we're continuing to build is of of high value and can be a difference maker for our for our partners. You know, more more personal side, I think it's the the team and the company itself. Um, when I think about our team and the growth of our team, adding it's early stages, but when you're adding, you know, like 10, 20, 30 <laughs> percent to to your to your overall kind of team makeup on a on a monthly or quarterly basis, there's an immense satisfaction in that. You know, when we started this company, we were in the midst, along with everybody else in the midst of, you know, everybody working from their bedroom or office or basement or whatever it might be. And now for our team, it's important that people can can work from wherever they want to. But being in the office and here with everybody in St. Paul, you know, a few days a week and and kind of getting back to that has has been really satisfying in the feedback that we've gotten from our team is that that's something that they've missed and that they really value as well. So I think kind of, you know, providing that kind of environment and, and the ability to to get more out of out of the professional side of people's lives is is really fantastic. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. One of the early learnings is when we were building our MVP and when we actually went out to, to fundraise for our seed seed round, we had identified a number of different markets or verticals. Solving for each of those was going to be really, really hard. And while it looked good in a, in a pitch deck, what we needed to do was actually focus on, you know, one of, say, the four areas that we had highlighted that we were going to build a product for. So that that focus quickly made some of the work that we had done to that point, I don't want to say worthless, but wasn't going to be utilized. And at the same time, that focus then allowed us to go much harder and much faster after the categories where, you know, what we were building was really hitting the mark. And so it's always painful to kind of reduce your 
your TAM or to to say, hey, you know, we've spent some amount of time building this feature or this capability and, and really now it's not worth anything, but this is not an uncommon experience. The ability to, to make the decision to kind of stop going down those roads uh, and do it quickly pays off after that sting of, of recognizing that, you know, it's hard not to judge yourself and say like, hey, I made a mistake in the past, but you're really just listening to the market and your customers and understanding, you know, like, hey, do we want to continue to spread ourselves uh, in this way or, or if we kind of pile up and really drive and focus in these other areas, can we can we move faster? Can we deliver more to our customers? And is that more in line with what it is that we're looking to accomplish together? So this will be fun to ask. What does the future look like for your product and for your team? The future for us is is really about continuing to accelerate the potential of, of vertical SaaS platforms and marketplaces. I think to do that, we need to continue to add to our orchestration layer in terms of the partners and products that we can help our partner platforms bring to their own ecosystems. And in that way, continue to help more and more businesses. If I go further out and I think about the future for us and and really what it is that that we are attempting to do. It's really to help ensure that every single person that's interfacing with with a platform or interfacing with one of our partners has the financial tools that they need in the moment that they want and need them. And that's one of the great advantages that a vertical platform or a marketplace has insofar as providing the kind of context or understanding the context through which you know, those products or services provide the greatest utility. And now it's important that that you're providing them fair and equitable for every single person that is that is using the system. But certainly when we think about how how most, you know, small businesses or organizations access different, you know, financial products or services, there's been a major shift. I think there's an even larger shift that's out out in front of us and that we can help, you know, move forward in, in some small but hopefully meaningful way. Okay, Casey, who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something that you look up to and why. I look up to, I guess, my, my dad and my brother in very real ways. I'm pretty keen on, on how they operate or how they go about solving problems. One of the statements that my dad ha- had made to me when I was growing up is that you can be right and lose. And I think about that a lot in so far as, you know, in in a team setting, in technology, especially I feel like there's of course immense value in, in kind of being right or correct or the leader. Really it's not just about that, but how you can kind of influence and communicate and drive alignment and a, a team mentality because truth be told, like I don't accomplish anything myself. <laughs> right? Like basically nothing. So I I I need everybody else and as a team we all need each other to to accomplish not just great things, but even, you know, like small wins. Understanding that it's really important to operate in a way that that creates an environment where people feel trusted and respected and valued is a really big deal. And it's also something that you can mess up really quickly, right? To, to gain those things takes time and, and time together. And to lose those things is, you know, that can happen in a meeting, right? And now maybe it's not like a 100% gain or, or loss, in those settings, but it is something that I think about on a regular basis in terms of, okay, how can, how can we, you know, make sure that we're investing in that in addition to just making the quote unquote right decision or picking the right direction. 
I look up to my brother on the on the professional side, insofar as you know, when I when I was able to watch how how he operated, I thought that he was very good at putting the customer, putting the person first, and not letting the business drivers lead a strategy. And I think in in the embedded payments and fintech space, it is all too easy to let a Excel spreadsheet drive your strategy. But that is kind of by definition a, a soulless strategy. So it, you know everything has to everything has to kind of come together and make sense. But it's a it sure feels a lot better when you start with the person, whether that be uh, somebody that's that's using a platform or maybe the owner or co-founder of a platform, whatever it might be putting those those people first and how you're thinking about you know the the opportunities and the the challenges that it, that exist in front of you. Okay, Casey. Last question. So you're getting on a plane. And you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? Yeah, I mean, I guess first I would say I'd love to see it. <laughs> if somebody's really excited or jazzed about something, then then that gets me pretty excited about it out of the gate. So that that's awesome. I think maintaining that kind of enthusiasm is is uh, is really important and sometimes sometimes pretty challenging as well. My biggest piece of advice would be to kind of know yourself, or try to try to understand yourself and your strengths and weaknesses, and be eager to ask for help and support. Certainly, individuals can have great ideas, and, and individuals can also, you know, like you could you can build something entirely yourself. But I know, you know, a lot of the joy comes from the team and the family kind of aspect of a. Uh, of a company, and also what you can achieve with with a whole host of people is also, you know, undoubtedly much much greater. So, you know, at its core, I would say like keep the enthusiasm. Certainly, as a owner or founder, you're you're going to be wearing all the hats, and you have to do you have to be willing to do all the things. But don't think that you have to have all the answers, or that it's weak if you're if you're looking to ask for help or support from other people. Uh, people want to go along on rides with other people. I know I certainly do, and I think. Just about everybody else that's out there wants wants that as well. Fantastic advice. Couldn't agree more. Well, Casey, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Justify. Yeah, thank you, Noah. It's a pleasure, pleasure to meet you and, and, and spend a little time together. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Labhart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.